Hello, hello. Welcome to ECHO, Effective Cannabis Healing Ourselves. Joining us today is Amanda from the Bud Cart and Bud Show, Donnell with the Coffee Co, and the Regional Director of the National Expungement Week, Leah from Achabeth Body Products, and Donna from the Etiquette Crew and Industry Labs. Let's meet the panel and be uplifted. Part two of our discussion about the legalization of the SMART and Final Act here in Phoenix, Arizona. A nice group of people that have joined us today to share in this conversation. So hopefully you'll watch the first section and lead into this second section. In this section, we're going to talk about what can we do as patients or as advocates and also have recreational in our communities and um, us all have what we're looking for. Donna, you want to kick us off on that one? Yes. So, yeah, what can we do, I think, is a big question for all of us. Right now, I've really, the only answers I've come to conclusion is, is just trying to help out the little guys and educate. Amanda, I think the first thing that we can do is work together. Um, and I think that part of that means that there needs to be some transparency um, and that the patients really need to have a voice in all of this, which I'm not sure if we do. And I think um, it was kind of key to the beginning of this conversation in the first half. Um, education is definitely important. So we need to continue to create spaces where education can happen. Um, and I think that's really where change begins. Do you know of any place where there is good education that you can really point to right now and say that is something we need to go build onto? Um, the Bud Show? <laughs> um, so, I mean, our podcast, we honestly really do, like, our podcast isn't about getting stoned. We really don't medicate on our show. Um, it really is about, not to say we never medicate on the show, but for the most part, like we don't smoke on the show. It really is about uh, educating and trying to create a space for both patients and businesses that want to work together. I think there have to be bigger spaces than that. My, my platform is very, very small, but I think just in general, finding more spaces like that um, where businesses can come together and really support one another is really what's important. I think as a someone who's not only a patient, but also a small business in the cannabis industry, but also never touching cannabis. It's, it's very overwhelming in both departments. And I think the more we can come together and work with people, um, the better off that we are. And I mean, I'm the first one to say, I don't really know anything. Uh, it's all the people around me that have the knowledge and I'm just thankful that they share it with me. Um, and, you know, I'm thankful to be here on this call with you today and to be even engaged in this conversation because more conversations like this need to happen. I agree with you. This, But I want everybody to understand everybody does have something to contribute here. You are educated in this. Everyone has a powerful voice that is sitting at this table and has something to provide the community that is not there right now. It's a needed voice in this conversation and we can't do this by ourselves. It's gonna take all of us if we're gonna make this be the success that it should be and that we know it, it's got to be. Uh, Donna? We really get into the whole healing, I think, with the education. Um, well, the medication it, and medicating is great, but I think if I didn't take the time to meditate during it and set intentions, I don't think I would have had this type of healing as quickly. Um, yeah, without having people give me kind of a guidance or even just a sentence that made complete sense that has helped me take bigger leaps to the future. I think that's the one thing I learned the most about healing with cannabis is that it allowed me to understand the importance of my whole healing, not just like we've been doing with pharmaceuticals. You can do this through whole healing. And that is you understanding your endocannabinoid system and what cannabinoids you're missing and what terpenes to add. And someday we'll have a test, I hope, that we can run and tell you exactly those answers. But we don't have that now. And it takes a lot of guesswork and working with people that have knowledge and experience in this. And that's where we all come into play in doing that. So yeah, I've also found out the corporate owners, they do know about health. They just really don't care about ours. Um, so very informed in how to care for the body, how to do this. Um, but 
it's only when it's happening to them or a family member and they've looked upon to cannabis as their final um, that they're actually open. But I've had so many conversations with dispensary owners and they're very much in healing or educated or have educated themselves in the words, um, but definitely not caring for our well-being all around. So. Well, yeah, my experience in talking with dispensaries is that they're yes. in it for the money and if they can use it to heal their family or their loved ones, then they're into talking about it medically. But if you're trying to talk to them about it medically for you or another person, they're not as interested. I wish they would see, though, we are the bridge that gaps it. You can't lie about healing. So no matter how much they try to word us or market us, there's still that end result. I get, um, I understand um, psychosomatic and things like that but even in the testing it's just it's just as powerful and they need to look into that even if that's the only thing they're thinking about is money um, well you need to go into the healing the only way i see that's ever going to happen is if we come together as patients and put our medical records together yeah. and our data and we can say we have 1,500 people that are treating chronic regional pain syndrome and they're using these cannabinoids and it's working and for us to be able to show what's actually happening, it's going to be us patients because there is no one else providing that because research is not being allowed. And I can't wait for research to be done. My health is dependent upon cannabis today. I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I hadn't had access to cannabis. I, the changes are tremendous and it is real. It's true medicine, but we have to make sure that we can have a functioning medical marijuana program and a recreational program and how they coexist. And we can make sure the patient is getting the information that they need and the recreational customer is able to get their product and they don't affect one another. And I'm not sure that our dispensaries are ready to handle that. Yeah, I was thinking about what is that going to look like? You know, is it just by the name of the dispensary? Because sometimes the names do tell you what their focus is. Or do you have two different counters where there's more medical information at one counter and more recreational information at the other counter. I can tell you from going to visit Vegas, going to California and looking at how they have their recreational and their medical marijuana programs set up, that they're the same in the dispensary. And it basically depends on how you register when you come into the store. You either tell them you're medical or you're recreational. That would be nice. Yeah. And the person that you get behind the counter will be the same. Doesn't matter which one you register at. Now I'm I don't. Not, I don't want to have to wait behind a recreational patient. No, I don't either. But I'm just telling you that's <laughs> how that is right now. And any place that I visited, and I think if we're going to follow suit with what other states are doing, that's what you're going to have. And you know, I want to know. And this is the thing we struggle with right now is that we don't have bud tenders and they shouldn't be trained to know all of this stuff medically. They're, ba they're paid the, the lowest amount of money that works in the cannabis industry. And we're asking them to provide us with medical information and medical advice when they have very little bit of information on us and our medical information. And so we need to have some trained people that are working with us as patients. And that's, again, why we started Effective Cannabis, so we could help patients do that and help them understand. Because if you're a cancer patient and you're trying to figure out what medication you're going to use to, to meet, beat your lung cancer, well, it's not as simple as you just pick up an RSO. And we think it's really important that we're looking at this and that the patients are getting the respect that they deserve when they go into the dispensary, though, to find their medicine. And on now. Thing, uh, from everything, I understand that if you have a medical marijuana dispensary now, you will be able to be a recreational dispensary as well, and they can coexist. Yes. So they will be at the same location, which... Uh... If there was an opportunity for other people to get into the industry, I'd be okay with because it would limit the amount. I mean, I, I essentially don't, I honestly don't want it to be like Colorado was where you're driving down the street and you got 10 dispensaries on one street. Don't get me wrong, I don't, 
problem with it, but I don't want a overly saturated uh, cannabis industry. We just need lots of education and we need education that a patient can just pick up something and feel pretty confident in what they're picking up and that they understand that will work for them. Uh, we would love for our medical community to be involved for people that are struggling with cancer and other serious health conditions, but we also need to be able to provide patients with good information right now that if they pick this up and decide they want to treat a condition, that it's something that they can trust. We don't have that right now. Right. That's why I send them to you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. But because I mean, and I know that they will be able to talk to maybe a pharmacist or somebody with medical training that can help them with that information. I mean, as far as I know, this is very important for the the data that you collect. Well, we hope it will be. We hope it's what will help prove how important this is on every aspect. Yeah, like I said, even for recreational, because I do believe this has preventative medicine in it. So I think that's important. So what do you think in your mind is the biggest risk to us as medical patients if the 207 passes? Amanda? Uh, I definitely think that one of the risks is just kind of that unknown and that we don't know how that's going to impact us. I think the other risk, um, as we mentioned earlier, would be that quality of medicine. Um, I think even now I worry about that. So I'm not sure what will happen um, if it goes recreational. Um, and then even, again, how that law really focuses on patients. So I think a lot of the time patients get lost or what's best for the patients gets lost in the big picture. And I'm just not sure that Prop 207 is fully encompassing. I do think it's a step um, and steps are good. But at the same time, we're far past where we should be making steps. We should either be like making giant leaps towards a good future here or at least figuring out what we're doing. And again, I think that's part of it is that we're trying to take steps forward when we still don't have what we have figured out. Well, and I believe that we shouldn't just be okay with mediocre. We should be working and striving to do the very best. Yes. And we can only do that if we're actually creating the correct medicine with the correct cannabinoids and terpenes that people need. But we have to understand that to be able to create it. And again, this we're going to go back to this a lot of times today. This all goes back to education. But it yeah. is really important because I'm not willing to settle at all. And I don't think anyone should be able to be okay with that. We've been doing that for decades with pharmaceuticals and learning that you can actually improve change and even heal conditions is really important. And I know people get frustrated when I say heal, but my lungs are healing, so I know that it's possible. I did all the research on the strains that I made medicine with last year, and it was the best medicine I've made in nine years. And then I start getting information about this year's crop, and I've already been up twice to make medicine and there are strains that I'm not sure why they're growing it, but I kind of think I do know and it's leaning towards recreation. And so those very, very wonderful strains that I had last year, now I've got strains I can't even find their, their breeding charts. I don't even know what it is. And I'm making it because I'm out of the matter from last year, but I have suspicions that my terpenes are not going to be the same, and uh, that changes everything for the patients that I have. Where's the big change in our dispensaries on the strains that are being produced and provided, and that is something that is a legitimate fear that we're not going to have access to the correct medicine or the same medicine now. And I'm seeing strain names that are being changed on a regular basis, voicing our opinions in the dispensary every time we go and yes. letting them know that they don't have what we need or what we're looking for. And it's not okay that they keep telling us, well, I don't know if we're going to grow it again. We have to make our voices heard and we have to be loud. That's, well, right now, just to find the medicine that we need right now, I know we have to spend searching through all the dispensaries and go through Leafly to figure out what medicine is there. 
and you may have to drive much further than your local store around the corner because they don't even know what you're wanting to use to treat that medical condition. I think that's the biggest risk that we have. We've had it all along and it's going to get even worse when we go to recreational because they're not going to have the interest in learning what patients are using and why they're using it. Well, Donna, you have worked in the dispensary and you've been in, on the other side of this equation and know how there's a little bit of interaction between dispensaries and grows. Do you see any way that we can bridge this and be able to help educate so that we can make sure that this is getting the, the correct strains for patients and then they can still have what they want for recreational? Um, when I was working at the dispensary, the owner was very open to all this education and I was actually had the opportunity with the room next door. Um, little did I know, it's, it's just pretty words coming out of his mouth <laughs> to kind of, it was never going to happen. I took it on as us being, it's our store and we are going to take care of each other and the patients. And unless you had high ticket sales, I mean, some of my interactions were at least 20 to 45 minutes. If my ticket sales didn't match and I wasn't one of the top sales, I would have been let go a long time ago. So the conversations were happening everywhere and he would promise these things to the whole staff and yes, this is important. We need to do this. Um, I was trying to get him to see the forever patient, someone that's trusting us and no matter what, they can keep coming back to us and we will make sure um, that we're on top of what they need and what has worked in the past. Um, I train the staff, please document. I need to know what they have. And if you're not here that day, what is the next bud tender going to give him? Um, and to give those kind of warnings too. Uh, it's, it's very individualized. I just think as a manager, that was one of our main top um, discussions. I know that that's not something that's happening in the other dispensaries. Um, I, I did a lot of training in those and these were never conversations that came up. And if they did, um, they were the first ones to be let go when any kind of budget was talked about, um, those consultations. Do you think we're better off working at the grow level than at the dispensary level in these discussions? I say dispensary because those are the ones who have contact with the patients. They're the ones, I, they're my MVPs, but the ones that really do dive in and educate themselves. I, my first thing I always said, I'm new to this too, let's learn together. And so I never acted like, oh, I'm just great at this. I love smoking pot. None of that. It was very much, I'm still learning myself. I was cautious about bringing cannabis into my day-to-day -day just because it just wasn't the drug for me. Um, I needed to learn how to use it correct, you know, before even starting the regimen. I think I waited about eight months been working in the dispensary before starting to medicate with it. So, um, but yeah, bud tenders, whoever touches the patient first, that check-in person <laughs> gives them all the educate, but there's no time or money that is going to be invested in that. That is all individual extra work on the person that has that job. And that's just too much to ask of each individual. So we have it. to find out something else that works. I mean, we right. really have a serious issue here that needs to be addressed and we need to make sure that the correct medicines are available. And if we can do that, then recreational can do whatever they need to and they can produce whatever products they want. But we can't allow patients to be pushed aside so that recreational can have what they want. And that's going to counter everything. Like you said, we have one of the better medical programs. And going into recreation, it's going to just kind of push all of that to the side. Maybe we should go into the dispensaries as groups. <laughs> Start the conversation in the waiting room. I used to love starting conversations in the waiting yeah. room. Yilo um, was so open that if there was a conversation going, we were all part of it. I loved bringing the patients that were waiting into it um, because we all had questions. And I think we just have to be open about it and talk about it. Um, quit acting like you want to be cool. I found out half the people I hung out with didn't even want to smoke that much THC. They just wanted to be part of something. Um, I myself didn't know I had to add in all those other cannabinoids. Um, I was just trying to make myself feel better. So 
Well, I think most people that start cannabis, that's what they want. They want yeah, to feel better. I am that consumer <laughs> and I'm one that doesn't want to do extra research. I am someone who I get very cautious on words or education people give me just because of my past trust issues. So it really did have to ring true in me, give me chills, have this really depth convo for me to really start listening to some of that advice too. Um, and I think in the cannabis industry, these are our people. We, if we can get past our untrusting, our past things um, and start treating each other better. So, but yeah, quality. Well, Amanda, you've been doing the Bud Show now for a while and you've had lots of people on to talk about this cannabis and how it works. Do you see any way that we can mitigate the risks that we see or feel that are going to come towards us if recreational comes around? Uh, well, I, again, you know, that education and having spaces where people can actually communicate about their medicine. Again, I think it's very, um, be before I had the bud card of the bud show, I was very disconnected from the cannabis industry, even though I used cannabis every day. I went into a dispensary, I got my meds, I came home, I may be medicated with a person or two that I know who medicated occasionally. But to me, I wasn't, I didn't go to sessions or events. I didn't know that there was that part of the industry. And I think it takes a lot to even still help other people, other patients know that there is education available in the industry and that there's opportunities to learn about different things. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest issues. And a lot of patients are patients for a reason. So even stepping into those spaces when they know about it might not be comfortable. So finding different ways to communicate to them. But we're in Arizona alone missing huge markets. We don't really target the Hispanic market. We don't really target moms and talk about moms and cannabis. And we certainly don't talk about the elderly in cannabis. Um, those are just marks I think that are hugely missed here in Arizona. And again, I think we need to start having those conversations and inviting people in those spaces to the conversations as well. And how would you go about trying to, to encourage that? Would you go to the dispensary and work with them and try to encourage that? Or would you work it at a higher level? Uh, I think it depends if dispensaries are open to it. Of course, like anytime that you can get the bigger corporations to, I'm, I'm going to say be a part of the table without stealing the table is good right? Because they have a lot of influence. But at the same time, I think it needs to come more from the community as well. I think when you're talking about educating like the Hispanic population, I think that's before we even get to the dispensaries. I think, again, you're talking about undoing how many years of, um, you know, education that says cannabis is a drug, cannabis is bad, you know, people who smoke weed are lazy or potheads. I mean, we have to undo all of that. And that takes some serious conversation, but it also takes it, uh, I, I think it needs to be done at a structural level. So you can't have schools still telling kids that cannabis are bad if they go home and mom is using cannabis because that's a mixed message. You know, you can't have colleges that penalize students for using cannabis if they have a medical marijuana card still happens today. So I think we still, like I said, have a lot of barriers and boundaries to get past and a lot of, I don't know, areas to do that. I want this to be talked at at every kitchen table conversation. I don't know how we get there. This is one of the things I'm focusing on and trying to make sure we just provide as many voices as possible and we actually show them people that are using it in a respectful, nice, calm way that we're not harming anybody. We're not doing anything that's bad. We have asked someone to help me put together a children's book so that we can start teaching yeah. our children how yeah. cannabis is important in our lives and how it's a plant and we should respect it and this is how you use it. It's no different than teaching your kid about poison ivy to me. Uh, you know, you teach your kids to respect poison ivy and talk to them about that. You can talk to them about cannabis and teach them the importance of it and how it is medicine. I There's good ways that you can medicate and be a part of your community and it's not harmful to anyone else. I should be able to medicate when I'm outside of my house, just like anybody else should. I don't think I should be arrested for that. Uh, I don't think anybody recreational should be arrested for that. And I think that's bringing this to the dinner table so that everybody can talk about it and understand and feel comfortable. 
Are we at the dinner table? Well, uh, wherever you have dinner, I don't know where everybody has dinner. I'm still old fashioned. Like I said, I'm 63. So <laughs> I feel like this is starting the conversation though, that, you know, like we're all at the dinner table by being a part of this conversation tonight and you set that up. So I think that's part of it right there is starting those conversations. I think that's very important that we're all doing this and, and all sharing our voices on this, because like I said, every one of us have some, something very important to share. And we all have something that somebody else doesn't have. And this is something, there is no expert in this field that I've met. There's people in Israel that are doing great research. They're putting out the best research that's out there, but they're still learning. We're all learning. We're all learning this together and everybody's voice needs to be at the table. I see you shaking your head a lot there, Donnell. Oh, no, I was, uh, I was agreeing about the Israel Majority or high percentage of Israel studies are funded by the U.S. government. Yep. Well, all of our scientists are actually going to other countries to study this because they can't study it here. And that's, you know, I'm thankful that we have scientists that are going and participating in that. But it's not helping us right now at this moment. It might help us someday, but it's not helping us right now at this moment. I was just thinking about the dinner table concept at a time when there's more conversation than we've had in years and talk about uh, grandma and grandpa or great grandpa and the bone pain that he has from Mets from prostate cancer. You know, those are uh, anybody in this group, anybody who these podcasts are shared with through effectivecannabis.com, all those conversations can go out there it doesn't have to be lengthy like what we've been doing, but just those little conversations that say, you know, wow, we should probably check out, you know, what can we do about great granddad's bone pain? Oh, there is an alternative and we can go here and maybe find out a little more about it. That's how the conversation goes. It's a, it's a, a spontaneous opportunity that you don't let go and it doesn't have to be a full explanation it's just a planting of a thought that oh there might be something else let's let's check into that i think one of the things that we have to consider here too is how little advertising can be done around this and how little bit uh ed you can't put it on TV. You can't talk about it on TV. The news right. can talk about it, but we can't have anything that's encouraging about it. And I think that would be a really good place that if we could really fight for and stand for that, that I know that's a lot to fight for and stand for, but I mean, that's a place that really does open up and help move this conversation a little bit further than where we are now, because if you're like me, and I'm sure Amanda's gone through this herself, doing a podcast, trying to reach your desired audience and the people that you're really looking for is really complicated because you're looking for that individual that has cancer or that individual that has Alzheimer's, that individual that's living in chronic pain. And they're not all on the same network. So how do you find those people and connect with them? And that is a much louder place and more people involved in trying to share this um, experience. Right, and it's, it's that website domain thing where I wanna join elderly relief and cannabis in a, you know, a forward maximum sentence, but then how are you gonna get placed in the clicks on Google? Because the people who put the most money into that are going to be the ones that are going to get that click. So it's really getting a message out that there's a podcast, there's a radio show, there's EffectiveCannabis.com and, and you can go there and even remain anonymous and look into your medical condition or whatever at a uh, I don't know the technology that people use, the names, but I mean, you can look at it from the outside and there's nobody taking your name down that you looked. I think, what, yeah, I just think that one of the hardest parts is that if you are a cannabis related business in any way, 
any of those services have the ability to dictate and say you're not even allowed to advertise. Right. So there's the issue yeah. of the competition, which is certainly an issue of, in itself. Don't get me wrong. Right. But half the time we can't even get our name out there. I mean, I literally am not allowed to do any Instagram, Facebook, yeah. none, no advertising. And I don't sell cannabis. I don't sell cannabis. I don't sell CBD. I don't sell THC. I never touch it. Right. I mean, I touch it personally, but my business doesn't touch it to give just to consumers for the most part. Um, so it's not like there's um, these boundaries, yet I'm held to these same standards that other businesses are um, who do sell cannabis, right. for example. And so it makes it almost impossible for the smaller businesses to survive because even if we're able to get to the playing field to compete, like most of us can't even get there even to bank in the state of Arizona with a cannabis related business they initially wanted $500 a month $500 and I was like I'm not a dispensary and it took months of me fighting and advocating and they finally created a tier system for cannabis related businesses in the bank that I use to the same thing I had to go and uh, register under an LLC just so that I could get banking and then I go through the same thing. I just went through a big ordeal with Facebook and trying to promote just the healing that cannabis does. We don't even list any products on our website to even advertise them or show them. We just talk about them. And so that is why cannabis is not being talked about a lot in your communities and why it's not at your dinner table is because the it's just being shut down just about everywhere you turn. Uh, it's not treated as any other equal business in our society at all. So. so do you believe that we as patients and we as business should have a right to have a say in this new law and what they're going to be writing about and how it's going to work? And if we should have a voice, how do we, does anybody know how we get on that committee to have a voice? Yeah, I've been working on that process for the last year. Um, it, I'm, I think most of y'all might be familiar with Nita. Uh, essentially, uh, and literally everything kind of centers around them uh, for the most part. Uh, if you are part of their mailing list or check their website every once in a while, you'll see they, they're having meetings. Uh, they uh, joined one of the meetings about the uh, social equity program that they're holding. They just had a growers meeting where a lot of the grower uh, head growers from some of these corporations uh, uh, did a little speaking event but uh, it, it's funny like even they they let people ask questions and post questions in there but if you don't ask a question they like you'll just be ignored uh, they will blatantly not uh, respond or even acknowledge the questions in there uh, so a, a lot of this is centered around there we had one person who uh is the former uh, director for the marijuana program in DHS. He was saying that there is still ways to get, be a part of uh, the policy making and development. Have you asked to be on the panel at any time? And Donnell? Uh, I, I have, this, I've had a brief discussion about it. I didn't necessarily ask I, uh, one of the new minorities involved or who have worked in the cannabis industry uh, in Arizona. Um, there are no minority owners. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. There are no black or Hispanic or brown min uh, owners of medical licenses in Arizona. Um, yet we are over 40% of manufacturing and distribution rest. So that was one of the things I brought to them. Uh, do you think that the recreational bill will help that, or do you think that it will make that even more complicated? Not at all. It will definitely, it will definitely make it. It will essentially make it worse in my in my mindset. Uh, so they are going to have the opportunity for people to uh, for twenty licenses to be available, twenty ish. Um, there are going to be twenty six social equity licenses. Then they will give a few extra licenses to those like in uh, far counties or. Uh, cities that don't have a, or towns that don't have a dispensary within 30 miles or 40 miles or something of the sort. So you're looking at a very limited amount of licenses. Right. But it um, so they essentially don't, uh, you don't have any protection from 
them also getting their matching licenses and applying for the new licenses that are going to be available as well. Um, so if they want to flood the pool, uh, the application pool with their own applicants. And you got a multi-million, billion dollars such as Harvest and uh, Cureleaf. They have $100,000 to throw out an application uh, with no problem. Um, so with no protection from them applying and gaining additional licenses, uh, whether it be regular licenses or even social equity licenses, um, Harvest Dispensary and two other states are going, uh, having lawsuits right now for uh, some kind of civil action against them for applying and getting civil, uh, social equity licenses that are designed to go to minorities or lower income people. But they not only apply, they gain these licenses as well. So without any protection from that. It... Yeah, it's definitely something that wow. we want to break through and make sure that everybody is equally represented in the medical marijuana program and the recreational program. That's something I highly support and will fight hard for every day to make sure that everybody is represented because it, it treats and helps every person and it can give everybody the ability to have a better life. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, we talk, we go back to education and to provide that education in some of these neighborhoods that uh, our lower income or uh, very uh, minority heavy neighborhoods, um, you get these dispensaries there, but they're not, I, I, as far as I know, there's only one dispensary that provides any kind of education classes um, regarding cannabinoids in general or just the effects of cannabis in the body and how it helps build on these, uh, these areas. It's it's just another hardship and a benefit for others to gain on a lack of education and opportunity. And it's a huge one that we've got to tackle and we've got to address. And I hope that we can come up with some ideas amongst all of us and how we can maybe put together something that we can start getting education out into the communities. How do you think that the legalization of 207 is going to impact the black market for cannabis? Amanda? I think that depends on a couple things. Um, I think it depends on how the medicinal market is impacted. Is going to depend on how the black market or, you know, what we like to call the underground is uh, kind of impacted. I think at the end of the day, there's always going to be a need for the underground. Um, and I can say as a patient, as thankful that I am for medical marijuana, I am definitely equally thankful that there is still the underground available um, for people who maybe, you know, have used more than their allotment or um, I, there's a million and one reasons why that underground to me is uh, important. Um, and I think it also brings a sense of checks and balance a little bit to the uh, regular market. At least I hope it does. So if the medicinal market um, and the recreational market goes up, you know, substantially in pricing, but the underground pricing stays the same for some reason, then I think they would actually stand to benefit from this a little bit. Um, and especially if some laws are a little bit more lax. I definitely think that the pricing is already making the underground still a viable market today. Um, speaking of the minorities, speaking of seniors, uh, speaking of people with small children and families and trying to understand how to treat their children with medicine, with cannabis medicine, it's expensive. And especially if you don't have guidance and understanding what to use and how to make it work for you. So I think that, you know, recreational if the prices go up this will definitely be impacted i don't know i'm possibly thinking it'll grow at the beginning it's going to be so exciting and but i don't know i don't know really how it's going to go down really if we think about it is there going to be meds available is it but there's always going to be an underground um i don't know i don't have the answer for that. I think I've separated myself from the underground because that was all I was part of. Um, I just don't 
want to make any mistakes as a card holder, as an advocate, as a, you know, someone that is trying to educate on that. But I mean, we never know how the underground will go. Do you see the underground carrying same quality medicine? Of course not. I mean, I think the underground is just the group of people who are just trying to hustle and make the day to day. And they're definitely not going to be testing. You're looking at 400 to 600 askew for testing. For, and it's just not realistic that that's going to be anything that's looked upon. Um, they're going to look at it as an opportunity to make more medicine I just or more money. It's just the underground is very much a big part of my heart. Um, I do believe that they're all needing someone just to voice that we all medicate for a reason. <laughs> Um, and so even though they act like they just want to get high and get the nicest nugs, um, if you really do sit down and talk with the individuals, they're all wanting something good to come out of this too. I just think we just don't know how that answer and when in confusion in large groups, you just kind of just free for all to try to just make it better than the next person. But I don't know, the underground is a good group of people too. <laughs> It's just we have to kind of be very compliant on everything we do. Yeah. Well, if we're going to do this as medicine, we need to be. We need, you know, if we want to really do it as medicine, we need to know what we're using and how to use it. Um, one of the things is, is does recreational get tired of it being in the dispensaries and go back to the black market or the underground because of um, the cost of it and um, the the changing of it. I don't really know because I mean the recreational market is so different from uh, the medical market to me. Uh, I think so I'm not really sure. It's very, but I found they just are looking for someone that speaks their language and understanding. And so they would like the dispensaries more, but I mean, if you look at a lot of the dispensaries, that's not a place um, they're kind of used to. Um, I think but I do think they're open for conversation. I've had, you know, success training on the West Valley and talking to patients inside the dispensary. Um, they have no idea what that does to their receptors of the brain. Um, a lot of them have been on it for a very long time. So this, I think, right back to more education. I believe the underground is where we should go to. That's where my heart is constantly gonna keep going back to. Um, just to give them a little more information because I, I didn't know either. And so um, another opportunity to educate. I educate yes. everywhere. I mean, smoking areas, designated smoking areas. I will light up a CBD joint. Um, corporate elevator. If there's doctor's offices in there, everyone in a boot. Ever try CBD? <laughs> and so on the way up to the elevator. Um, this is all I found that I can do at this time is just I mean, at the store with the flower girl the other day. <laughs> um, yeah, just gave her a bunch of information. Um, and so that's really all I've come to. I share with every single person I pass or I meet, it don't matter who you are. If you mm -hmm. don't want to hear about cannabis, you better tell me to be quiet it's because I'm going to talk about it. It's just part of my life. <laughs> and it's so exciting. Have you ever seen uh, any conversations go down about cannabis? And you're just like, yes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I think it's the most wonderful thing in the whole wide world. I think it yes. makes you feel a way that nothing else makes you feel. And it gives you the ability to be compassionate and loving and caring. And it breaks down walls. It just does an amazing thing if you allow yourself to go with it. So I think that we just all have to be uh, understanding. But I think that we would like to see that we're all working together for the same goal and that the black market is not considered the black market or the underground anymore. It's just an all acceptable thing. They should be respected just as much. A lot of them very much respect this plant and love this plant way more than these corporates do. Um, so they're just looked upon and judged right away um, when they could be such an asset. Uh, but they are just, you know, one of my friends went in as a grower and was paid $11 an hour. He is a grower, <laughs> but he wanted to get his foot in the door. So he's taking this cut 
And then he can't focus really on how he wants to grow this beautiful plant because he has all these stipulations. So, um, yeah, I respect the underground very, very much, um, but we just don't know how to get them respected in a way that they can actually maybe lead in some of these things. Well, and I believe a lot of our good growers and a lot of the good information that we have has all come from the underground. If we didn't have the underground, we wouldn't have all the information that we have today. And that's what drove us and has driven us to the medical medical place that we are. And it's what's driving us to recreational. So, I mean, I think that um, a lot of times they are disrespected and and they are lumped into a group of people that are selling harder drugs and doing things that are not what we are even advocating here. But I do think that the underground world is um, something that is important and matters because that's basically what gave that. us our start. So, you know, I, I love that, that you say that. So how do you see this playing out with the underground, Donnell? Agree saying about the quality. Um, I think there are plenty of underground and I don't know if you want to put caregivers in there as well who produce great meds um, compared to the corporate dispensaries we have right now. Um, and the fact that we don't even have testing regulations as it is uh, that we're instituting that could create a shortage or and higher prices after you. Yeah, if you're already doing these testing processes, there's no reason that they should be expecting a shortage or higher prices since we're already paying ridiculous prices as it is. Um, it, I, I just don't understand that you can't make me understand if you're supposedly testing all your flour and all your concentrates, but you're telling people to be prepared for a shortage in price rises and price hikes. Uh, that's a problem. And also, uh, some of these dispensaries don't even have the enough quantity to cover the medical program as it is. Um, yeah, so you, we're going to see uptick in prices, but then, uh, as in most states, within six months of that, it's going to see a dramatic drop in prices. Uh, I think at that moment, those times, you are going to see the underground market thrive a little bit. Uh, you will have a lot of people not getting their medical cards if it does go through. Um, anymore, which will cause that underground market to uh, raise a little bit more, but there's enough, I think there's, well, not enough people with education, of course, but I think there's quite a bit of people out right now who are already unhappy enough with dispensaries as it is, that as soon as that opportunity comes, that people are going to be promoting it more and letting other people know, oh, we have this product. That, that's going to cause that market to uh, increase quite a bit. Not something I've even thought about. <laughs> Haven't even approached that. You just brought up a whole new topic for us to approach at some point about this and about how, um, how when people can grow it, how how do you control and manage who they're distributing to and sharing with, and how does that impact everything? That's just something I hadn't even really thought about because as a patient, we haven't been able to grow, so it's not something that's been on my my radar at all. So, Leah, you've had family that have lived in states that have gone from medical to recreational. Do you have any viewpoints on how it's impacted the black market and can share with us or the underground market? I don't think it's going to change at all. I really don't. Not in Colorado, not in Washington State, which is my experience. And then here, I live half a block from an area that um, I know a lot about because of all the teenagers in and out of my house. And there are people that are running dispensaries out of their home. I mean, it's like a dispensary. You come in, you have an appointment and you leave and it's so open, it just blows my mind. But when the kids show me what they have gotten there, it blows my mind because I don't even know where it came from. The packaging is in other languages and that scares me quite a lot. And again, I'm wise enough to know that I want a proven and tested and labeled product. Whereas 
the people who use the underground, they don't care about any of that. And um, so it's a whole different population. The place where I have my farmer's market, um, I'm sure there's a lot of underground going on there. And um, I try to just separate myself <laughs> as much as possible from that because I'm trying to do something that's honorable and legal. So I just, I don't think it's going to change. I think it'll just be more and more abundant everywhere. People think that if they vote for 207, that that will get rid of that market. And I think that's no. an important conversation for us to have, that that market is not going to go away in California. No. That market is still 80% of cannabis purchases in California right now are still from the bet. ground. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a high number, um, and that's because they didn't write the laws good enough, according to everything that I've heard. They didn't write the laws good enough for their their programs when they put them in place. They just wanted to get them passed, and now they're living with the repercussions of some of that. So I think it's important that we pass good quality bills and we understand what we're voting on. You know, Deb. I think it all boils down to when we talked about COVID for, you know, a couple of weeks, it's, it's up to the individuals, parents, if they have children under age in their home, they just really need to know where their kids are and what they're doing and have open conversations. And that's where the control comes from. It has to come from yourself or your family or your core group of people. And um, I'm not saying anybody's better or worse than anybody else, but it's just my whole thing from a health perspective is, is safety of product and knowing what you're getting. And that's always been the issue since the 60s. Well, and if we're going to use it as medicine, we need to know what we're putting in our body yeah, because and this is a product that helps everybody feel yeah. better regardless if they have a serious health condition or they're just looking to sleep tonight or they're looking to relax. I think that it, it, it is medicine no matter how I look at it. It is something that's providing people with a, yeah. the ability to feel better and have a better life. Does anybody have any closing comments they would like to add before we sign off here? Thank you for having us. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate you all coming. I appreciate you all very much. Thank you very much. It was wonderful to meet you. And everybody have a wonderful evening. Good night. Good night. Echo Podcast is provided by EffectiveCannabis.com. They do not grow, produce, or sell products. They study them to learn and teach effective cannabinoids, medicine style. Learn how to be uplifted.